Would you recognize true humility? Paul, as we have worked our way through Philippians, we've seen that uh, he has been hitting the point of unity over and over again to the Philippians. One gets the impression, reading Philippians, that there had to have been some disunity in the church at Philippi. Now in the passage before us, one of the great passages in all of Scripture, Paul turns from unity to humility. And there's a very simple reason why. Where there is a lack of unity, there is a lack of humility. A unified church must first be a humble church. Big egos breed conflict and disunity. I've never read much of anything the popular Christian author uh, John Maxwell wrote. Some of you probably have. But I have heard that he coined a phrase called the Bob Principle. It goes like this. He wrote, If Bob has problems with Bill, and Bob has problems with Fred, and Bob has problems with Sue, and Bob has problems with Jane, and Bob has problems with Sam, then Bob is usually the problem. That's so true. Bob is the problem. Bob's problem is that he's all about Bob. And that's why he creates conflict and disunity and discontentment everywhere he goes. He needs to know he must get over himself. And the Apostle Paul, in a diplomatic and theologically sophisticated way, is basically telling the Philippians, get over yourselves. And so as he calls for unity, he presents to them the most humble person of all. And the most humble person of all is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He and he alone is the supremely perfect embodiment of humility. So the question as we look at Jesus together this morning is, would you recognize true humility? Do you know what true humility really is? Let's look at Jesus. First in this passage, we see his humiliation. His humiliation, look at Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now you see, it says Jesus was in the form of God. It means he was in possession of all the divine properties of God. All things divine were his. 
in plain English, Jesus was God. Yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word grasped in almost all modern translations does not really convey the sense of the original. You know, you tend to reach out and grasp at something you don't have. Adam reached out and grasped at equality with God. The devil promised him, if you'll just take and eat that forbidden fruit, you'll be like God. And so Adam reached out and grasped at it. Jesus already had equality with God. What do you think for him to reach out and grasp at? No, a better word than grasp here is probably clutch. Jesus was God. The Son was equal with the Father. He already and eternally possessed equality with God, but He did not clutch it. He didn't cling to it. No, look what he did. Look at verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Now Paul is, is not saying that he emptied himself of his divinity, his godness, so to speak. One time there were some who went overboard with that word emptied in verse 7 and started teaching that Jesus ceased to be God when he became human. But, but that's not what it says. Verse 7 does not say that he emptied himself by giving anything up. No, look at it. It says he emptied himself by taking something. Namely, he took the form of a servant. You see, verse 7, it's the same word, form. He became man as surely as he was God. Just as Jesus possessed everything that makes God, God, so everything that makes a human, a human, Jesus took it on himself. And I better say that to be human is not necessarily to err or to sin. No. The first man was made without sin but it was left to the freedom of his own will. And he sinned. And since then, the guilt of his crime and the corruption of his nature have passed to us all. And that sin that Adam brought upon us all is not what makes us human. No, sin actually diminishes and destroys our Humanity. But Jesus entered the world. By the miracle of virgin birth, the sin of Adam did not pass to Jesus. And he was sinless. 
like Adam was made. But unlike Adam, Jesus, by the freedom of his own will, always obeyed the Father. Never sinned. But he became fully human. Paul used the same word for Jesus' divinity and his humanity because Jesus is just as human as he is divine. He is fully God and fully man in one person. He's not a mixture. I remember when I was in seminary and preaching class, we would take turns preaching in front of the class and, and then we would critique each other. It was everybody's favorite class, don't you know? I've never been one to uh, offer much criticism in general. And I don't remember, but one time I offered any serious criticism. I made fun of a friend of mine one time about a funny gesture he made when he preached. But, but one day in class, another student said in his sermon that Jesus was a hybrid of God and man. And I waited for someone else to say something because I don't like to criticize people. And when no one else said anything, I suggested to him that that was a poor example. And then he attempted to justify what he had said. And finally I said to him, Brother, you preached heresy. Don't do it again. A hybrid is a cross between two things that's neither one of them. A mule is a hybrid. It's a cross between a jack donkey and a mare. And every mule that's ever lived had to come into existence in that way. But a mule is neither a horse nor a donkey. It's a mule. If Jesus were a hybrid, he would be neither God nor man. But Jesus is both God and man. But let's go on. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Now the mere act of becoming human was an act of humility. He was God, eternally blessed and happy. And he took humanity upon himself. He was without sin in his humanity, but he was not without pain and suffering. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he was not without tears. But becoming a man was only the beginning of his humiliation. He became obedient to the point of death on a cross. And notice in verse 8 how 
Paul emphasizes the mode of his death, even death on a cross. I don't know what the most painful form of death is. Certainly crucifixion is up there. But it is the most humiliating way to die that has ever been conceived. Nailed to a cross. Lifted up in broad daylight. Naked as the day was born. Between common thugs. But then beyond the physical torment there was the wrath of God. Estrangement from God. I remember another time in in another preaching class, one of the students preaching, it wasn't me, said that on the cross, Jesus was seemingly forsaken by God. You remember he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'll never forget, the old professor looked him in the eye and said Jesus was not seemingly forsaken. He was forsaken. He took our sin on himself. He stood in our place, in our stead, our substitute, and He was forsaken so that we could be accepted and received and forgiven, pardoned and adopted as children of God. That's how low Jesus' humility went all the way to the bottom of hell. Oldest sermon written down outside of the pages of the New Testament that still exists was preached by a man by the name of Melito of Sardis believed to be preached on Easter Sunday sometime between the year 160 and 170 A.D. Let me read you just a few lines of it. He who hung the earth in place is hanged. He who fixed the heavens in place is fixed in place. He who made all things fast is made fast on a tree. The sovereign is insulted. God is murdered. That's humility. See the humiliation of Jesus. Secondly, we see his exaltation. Look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our catechism outlines the work of Jesus Christ in terms of His humiliation and then His exaltation. 
He humbled himself and came down from heaven and went all the way down to death on the cross. And then the Father exalted him. He raised him from the dead and transformed his human body into something eternally glorious and he's bestowed on him the name above every name. He says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know a quote from Isaiah 45, the Old Testament? The Lord Jehovah says, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear. Paul says that's Jesus talking. In other words, Jesus is God and there is no other. And to worship Him is to glorify God the Father. They are one undivided God. And now Jesus' human flesh and blood have been exalted to the throne of God. That's his exaltation. So you see Jesus' humiliation. We see his exaltation. And finally, in this passage, thirdly and finally, we see our being in Christ. Our being in Christ. Now go back to the beginning. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now some say Paul is telling us that we need to follow Jesus. We need to conform to Him in our attitudes. And we must do that. For sure, that's a a plain ramification of this text. Jesus was humble. We need to be humble. But Paul is saying a lot more than that. He says we should have this mind among ourselves. That's how we should deal with each other. And he says, this mind is ours in Christ Jesus. We have this mind. We have it among ourselves if we are in Jesus. You see, when Paul, when Jesus was exalted, Paul says he became a life-giving spirit. He is in his exalted state on the throne, the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. And in sending the Holy Spirit to us, he comes to us to be in us and we in him. And Paul is telling us that to be saved is to be in Christ, to be united to the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is asking us, how can we be united to Jesus Christ in a spiritual, mystical union and not be humble? How can we be united to Christ and be arrogant? and insist on our own way. 
How can a man be in Christ and have such a huge ego that if he can't get his way, he takes his ball and goes home? How can a church be in Christ? All of us, how can we all be in the same Lord Jesus Christ by the same Holy Spirit and be puffed up and difficult and divisive? To be in Christ is to have His mind, to be one with Him, to become like Him. Jesus taught over and over again that whoever exalts himself will be abased. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Why? Because Jesus himself was the ultimate one humbled himself and was exalted. And you can't get into Christ if you don't bow your knee and confess that he is Lord. To be in Christ is to humble ourselves so that our life manifest the reality of our being in Christ. Helen Rosevere, you may be familiar with her. She was a great missionary, medical missionary in the Congo in the middle of the 20th century. She was from England. She was an amazing person if you've ever read about her. She was a Phenomenal human being. She built two hospitals in the Congo. She rigged up and fixed her own ambulance. She was once taken prisoner for six months and beaten. When she was released, she went right back. Built more hospitals. She wrote her own medical textbook and opened her own medical school for the natives in the Congo. But she was difficult. She had a bad temper. A lot of anxiety. She was high strung. Difficult to work with. And she wrote in her memoirs that one day an old African preacher took her aside. And she said that he drew a straight line in the dirt floor with his heel. He said, I. He drew the letter I in the dirt with his heel. And he told her the capital I in our lives, self, is a great enemy. He told her, Helen, the trouble with you is that we can see so much of Helen that we cannot see Jesus. 
And as he spoke, she said he moved his heel in the dirt across the eye that he had drawn. And he told her, Helen, you pray, please, God, cross out the eye. And that's what Paul is telling the Philippians. And that's what the Holy Spirit is telling Clover ARP Church. We need a lot less of us and a lot more of Jesus. Please, God, cross out the eye. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.